Man, almost feels like we already had church, huh? Good worship. Nate making us all cry, right? That's one of our uh, factors when we go into uh, like a staff meeting, like what is, what, what is a, a, a bar for a good service, and it's when, when people cry. So there you go. We've, we've had church today. <laughs> Well, as I said, my name is Pastor Jeremy. Just another little disclaimer again, this is going to be a little more adult-themed content. Don't think if you need to leave, you're going to be a distraction to anybody. Uh, if you have young kids, young years here, um, again, not R-rated. We're not going R-rated, but uh, maybe PG-13 today we're going to be talking about some stuff. So I am so pumped as always to be here at Millsboro. It's always fun to be back. Things in Fenwick are going amazing. Um, Pre-COVID, which is how most of our, us define our lives anymore, pre-COVID, uh, Fenwick campus was about to break 200 people. And uh, things were going so well. And then since we came back, we've been slowly rebuilding. And just here recently, we have hit the 100 mark again. And things are continuing to grow. So let's give the Lord praise for that. Thank you so much for your support and your prayers. And uh, man, we're just uh, excited about what God's going to be doing at Fenwick and believing for amazing things the rest of this year and years and years down the road for us to be able to serve there. By the way, what an amazing week a couple weeks ago, July the 4th. So awesome to be able to celebrate 40 years here at Millsboro. How amazing is that? I mean, 40 years of ministry to this community, thousands and thousands of lives that have been impacted by this community of believers here. And so it was amazing to celebrate that. We celebrate our one year at Fenwick and 10 years at Rehoboth. So what an amazing week. I hope you uh, were able to celebrate that and just remember that as a milestone uh, in, in the history of our church and of our community of what God has done through you. It's an important thing to be able to look at that and celebrate those wins. And uh, as we move forward, uh, just believe in God to do amazing things. So we're going to get busy today on the message because we got a lot of ground to cover. Now, we've been in this series, Crazy Church People, where we've been talking about this city, Corinth, where Paul uh, was a missionary to, and this city was a wreck. Uh, and a lot of stuff going on. Pastor Danny's been building this out over the past month or so, and, and just a lot of craziness going on. So Paul's been dealing with a lot of issues uh, that were at the church at the time, uh, leadership issues, who people were going to follow, um, issues of what they were going to eat, and issues of lawsuits among believers, and what type, how many wives people can have, and all these things were uh, issues that the church were dealing with and Paul was addressing. And if you pay close attention, uh, well, it didn't even require close attention. One of the macro themes, one of the main issues that the church at Corinth dealt with was sexual immorality. And so this is a major theme throughout the book of Corinthians, these letters to the church. And so we're going to take a little time, and at the end of chapter 6 here, we're going to deal specifically with this issue of sexual immorality and into the, the beginnings of chapter 7. And so um, to do that today, we really need to provide some context. Because Paul grew up in a Jewish culture, a 
churched culture, if you want to call it that, right? It, it was a culture that had the Old Testament as its foundation that they built their culture on. Corinth, on the other hand, was a Greek settlement. It was a, a you know, a, a Greco-Roman settlement, and they didn't have any of that sort of backstory. Nothing, the Old Testament wasn't something that they were taught as kids, and so they didn't have any of that foundation. And so what we need to understand as we look at what Paul is saying in chapter 6 and 7 is we need to understand what Paul's theology is built on first. Where is Paul getting this theology that he's teaching? And then we also need to make sure that we understand the culture a little bit at Corinth. So if, you're, if you have your Bible today, we're going to move quickly into the book of Genesis. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning just to create some context for what Paul is saying here. Genesis chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, and we'll put it on the screen, of course, to read it. So here we go. Everybody ready to go? Ready. All right. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, we're going to start. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So, Genesis chapter 2, in the beginning, God creates the heavens. He creates the entire universe and all of creation in chapter 2. And if we were had time to read the whole story, what we'd see is that God populates his creation with three types of beings. First, there are animals, then there's angels, and then there's man. Now, animals are strictly physical beings. There aren't any llamas who are contemplating their place in the universe, right? There aren't dogs who are wondering why they exist. They are strictly physical beings. Angels, on the opposite end of the spectrum, are purely spiritual beings. Now, Angels will manifest themselves in uh, the physical, which we'll see in different parts of the Bible. But in general, angels are spiritual beings. But out of all the tens of thousands of animals that were created, out of the angels that God created, uh, uh, man, humans, are unique. Mankind is a hybrid, integrated being. Look at what he says in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. In the original Hebrew text here, what that says is the Lord formed Adam, where we get our word man from, Adam from the Adama or the dust. It's this really cool poetic little play on words. Adam was formed from Adama, which is the dust of the ground. And what we're, we're trying, what they're trying to portray here and to tell us is that man was actually created from actual little uh, uh, hard ground and earth. Physical uh, uh, things that were used to create man. So man is a physical being. But it goes on to say, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being, or the original Hebrew there is nefesh. 
nefesh. Now, in some Bible translations, that is translated to what we already read here, which is a, a, a living being. In other Bibles, uh, maybe it says in some of your Bibles, it's translated there to soul. But the point here is that when God breathed into man, he breathed into him this nefesh. It's the breath of life. It is spirit. And so man is not just physical. Man uniquely is both physical and spiritual together. Not just animal, not just physical, like the world would maybe have us believe, where we just evolved out of these animals and physical creations. We're more than that. We are both physical and spiritual, not just spiritual like angels, but both together, a hybrid, integrated uh, uh, being. And in that way of thinking, you just don't, you don't have a body. It's not just that you have a body, but you are a body. And so we are unique and complex, both of physical and spiritual, unique and made into the image of God. Now, to get to the sexuality piece today. If we skip down to verse 18, it says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Can I get an amen from the fellas? Uh, I will make a helper suitable for him. Literally translated from the original Hebrew as man needs help. That was a joke, a bad joke. Skip down a little further, verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. Now, if you're new to the Bible, if you're a little skeptical about the Bible, don't get hung up on God removing a rib from Adam and what all that means, whether that's poetry or metaphoric or actual literal. Don't get hung up on that. The point here again is that we understand that woman is physical. She is made from physicality, uh, tangible things, but she is also a spiritual being. She is both physical and spiritual, just like man. So, and then it goes on to say, and he brought her to man. I think it's pretty cool that one of the first stories uh, recorded in the Bible is a love story. And who's the author? It's God. One of the first stories is a love story where God brings woman to man. And what does man do when he gets woman? Let's read on. It says in verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And so the first man on the planet, ladies and gentlemen, was a poet. There's a lesson in there, fellas, to learn there. How cool the first Story is a love story, and man responds with poetry. Verse 24. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, which is marriage, and they become one flesh, sexuality. Verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And this is how the Bible begins. The creation story. God created man. Created woman. He created marriage. He created sex. And they were naked in the garden, unashamed, 
and unafraid together. Not a bad start, huh? And so for us to move on, I really want us to get two important points out of this this morning. The first thing that I want you to know is that sex and sexuality is created by God and it is beautiful. Sex is created by God and it is beautiful. Hollywood didn't create sex. Hugh Hefner didn't create sex. Our culture and uh, uh, the world did not explain to us sex. God created it. And long uh, before any of those things existed is when he did it. And in God's genius, in his brilliance, he created man. He created woman. He created sex organs. He created orgasms. Yes, I said that in church. He is the one who created those things. And more importantly to note, it was in the original creation. Man was sexual far before he was sinful. Think about that. Man was making love in chapter 2 of Genesis long before sin entered the world and corrupted everything in in chapter 3. Man was making love in chapter 2, and sin enters the world in chapter 3. And, and, it, and, and so sex isn't dirty or bad or impure. It existed before sin did. And then sin comes along and corrupts the whole world, especially our sexuality. And so it's important to note that God created sin, and it's beautiful. Or God, God created sex, and it's beautiful. And, and, and it's created by him in the original creation. Number two, second thing that you need to understand is that sex is powerful. The first sentence in the Bible that talks about our sexuality is verse 24. Let's look at that one more time. And it says this. It says, in the two, they became one flesh. Or in the Hebrew, it's this word, akkad. And a cod is this highly emotive, very strong, vivid word where a cod, meaning two things that are separate, come together. Two human beings that are separate become one. It's where you blur the line between two things. Where does man end and where does woman begin? A cod is when two humans at the deepest level come together and become one. And so sex is this powerful and even enigmatic and like uh, mysterious, crazy thing that when two people come together, they become one flesh. And the deepest parts of their body and their soul also become one in this ikad, two becoming one. Which is why what we're going to talk about is in the Bible, the only thing strong enough, the only thing powerful enough to contain this sort of raw, untamed power of our sexuality is the context of marriage. The context of marriage. Verse 24, one more time. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and then they become one flesh. Sex is a beautiful creation of God. And sex is powerful. Second part, the context that we need to understand. So that's Paul's theology. Where the basis of Paul's teachings that we're about to look at 
in 1 Corinthians come from. It kind of sets the stage for that. And so we need to understand, and we've talked about this quite a bit, but the, the culture of Corinth, again, it's Greco-Roman, right? Not doesn't have the foundation of the Old Testament. And, and so it, it is a place very different from where Paul would have grown up. And so rampant with sexual immorality. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Danny started to deal with this. It's the word porneia, which is where we get the word pornography from. And this was rampant in the city where there was uh, temples to goddesses of sexuality that had prostitutes who would flood the city. And there were men with multiple wives and even husbands. And it was a crazy, just uh, out of control city. And uh, uh, sexual immorality, as Paul defines it, is based on his Genesis chapter 2 understanding. And so any sort of sexuality outside of the context of marriage falls into uh, this category of porneia. And so it's a marriage covenant between a man and a woman, by the way. It's not a man and his boyfriend. It's not a, a, a man and his friend or his buddy. It's not a man and his fiance. It's anything outside of the context of a covenant of marriage uh, that is what Paul is dealing with. One man with one woman. So it's in that context that Paul brings his Genesis chapter 2 understanding in and is trying to help correct and teach the church at Corinth. So now, with all of that, let's go to 1 Corinthians today. Everybody doing okay? All right. Stick with me here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Danny left off uh, in verse 11, so we're going to pick up there. Um, and so chapter 6, verse 12 says this, and we're going to kind of Go uh, line by line through this, so stick with me here. Uh, verse 12, I have the right to do anything. In most versions, in most uh, translations of the Bibles, that should be in quotations. In some of the older versions, uh, that wouldn't have been in quotations. Uh, it was just left out for whatever reason. So uh, it's important as we approach this text that you understand that what Paul is doing here is he's quoting a phrase uh, from the people in Corinth, and he says that, they would say, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do everything or anything, but I will not be mastered by anything, Paul says. And so he's addressing that common phrase that the Corinthians would use during that day. And honestly, I think something we as a church and we as believers need to wrestle with today in our own lives. Um, but the idea that... that in Jesus, we are free. And that is true, right? If I said, uh, in Jesus, we are free, we would all agree with that. And that's a true statement that we are free from, uh, uh, you know, the legalism of the Old Testament. We're free from these uh, empty rules that we would have. Um, but um, in a way, there's a grain of truth in that. But I think what the authors of the Bible are getting at is a little deeper here. And what they mean is that, we're not free in Jesus to do whatever we want. We're not just free to sin. We are free from sin. 
And there's a difference here that Paul understands and when he talks about it, especially when he says that phrase that, you know, uh, uh, everything is not beneficial and I will not be mastered by anything. More, uh, an even better translation of that phrase mastered is to be put under the power of. Put under the power of. And what Paul understands here that the people at Corinth didn't understand and what we need to, again, wrestle with in our own lives is that, uh, uh, you know, sin can lead to, to like uh, uh, patterns in our life. And, and patterns can lead to habits in our life, which can lead to what the Bible calls strongholds. In our life. And this is what Paul is referring to. He's not going to be mastered by anything. He's not going to be put under the control of anything. And he understands that sin has a way of getting into our life and controlling us, that we can get to the place where we know we shouldn't be doing something. We don't want to even do it anymore. We know it's bad for us and unhealthy in our life, but we can't stop. And sin can have that power over us sometimes if we let it. And Paul understands that. And he's saying, you know, is everything permissible? I don't know, but I'm not going to let anything be the master over me. And so sin I will not have a stronghold in my life. And, and so Paul is saying, yes, you are free in Jesus, but I will not be under the power of everything. So as we read on, verse 13 says, Paul again, quoting you say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Again, in certain translations, the quotations can be put at different places. But for me, having that whole phrase in quotations is right, as I've done the research here. And this, again, is a common slogan that the Corinthian church would use to justify their sexual immorality that was throughout the city. To even in their church to justify uh, uh, the sexual immorality that was going on. And the idea here is that, hey, if you're hungry, you know... You eat, and it's just a physical craving that you had. And so if your body's craving food, you go get food. And it's a purely physical thing, and it has nothing to do with the spiritual. And so we just uh, uh, fulfill the needs of our body. And in the same way, they say, hey, if, if you are a man and you have a sexual desire, you go find somebody who can fulfill that sexual desire. And hey, you know, uh, uh, food for the stomach, stomach for the food. It's a physical thing, and uh, it has nothing to do with the spirit. But Paul fires right back. And as we read on, he says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Paul brings it right back to the Genesis chapter 2 understanding where we know that man is just not simply physical, but he's an integrated being and, and our bodies matter uh, to the spirit. And, and uh, what we do with our body affects our relationship with God because we are an integrated body and spirit being. Let's read on verse 14. Everybody with me? Verse 14, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Continuing in this thought that we're an integrated being, body and spirit, Paul goes on here to talk about the Lord being raised from the dead. And here's what he's getting at. When Jesus was crucified, and was dead for three days, right? When he came back, he came back in his physical body. One of the first things that Jesus said uh, that's recorded after he was resurrected was, do you have any food? Right, he was hungry. 
because uh, being resurrected uh, probably builds up an appetite, I would imagine. But, um, you know, Paul's wanting us to understand that when Jesus was resurrected, he was resurrected in his physical body. Uh, you could touch the holes in his hands and, and in his side, and he was a physical uh, being. And so he's saying, in the same way, your body will be raised from the dead. Now, we don't have time to go into this. We'll talk a little more about this in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, about the resurrection of the body. But, but the basic understanding here, the basic understanding is that uh, when we die, uh, which uh, all of us, by the way, uh, pretty good chance one day uh, we'll, we'll get there. The odds on that are pretty good. All of us are going to die at some point and uh, our spirit will go to be with the Lord until one day it says that Jesus will come back and we'll come back with him and we will be reunited with our bodies and then in our physical bodies we will reign with the Lord for eternity. Big broad strokes there. But what Paul is wanting us to understand here is that what we do with our body matters. Not only now, but also for eternity. That what we do with our bodies matter. And the ramifications uh, uh, play out uh, for all of eternity. And he even reiterates this as he goes on in chapter verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are the members of Christ himself. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, and he quotes Genesis chapter 2 directly here, the two will become one flesh. And Paul here He's making this very bold statement that would have been uh, very controversial during that time, especially in the city of Corinth. But, but he's making the point here um, that when two people come together, and that whether that's in uh, the context of a lifelong covenant in marriage, or whether that's some guy who paid $20 in the back seat of a car, when two people come together, they become one flesh. And so, sex is this powerful thing, and in that, no matter married or unmarried, or with a prostitute, a cod, one flesh happens. And so, Paul even takes this one step further. Verse 17 says, But whoever is united with the Lord is with him in spirit. And so what Paul is saying here is that when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, um, that we become one with him. And that same sort of a cod happens where one spirit and his spirit comes to live inside of our body, it says. And so in that way, what adultery is to a marriage is what sexual immorality is to our relationship with the Lord. And so what we need to understand, it's not separated. It's our, our body, what we do with it 
matters, not only now, uh, but also with our relationship with the Lord and also for eternity. You know, I get kind of disheartened when I hear uh, people uh, talk about like, um, the Bible having a low view of sex or the Bible having this down looking idea of sexuality and this outdated concept of what it means to be sexual. And, uh, you know, that, that's, it's all stuffy and, and, and whatever. And, and, and the, the crazy thing is like, uh, uh, what Bible are you reading is what I want to ask, right? Because if you read things like the Song of Solomon and you look at what the Bible has to say about sexuality, I would use the word almost that it places it in the realm of being sacred, right? Like the Bible has this crazy high elevated view about what our sexuality is and what it should be and what sex is. It's the world that has the low view of sex, that it's just this physical thing. It's just this temporary coupling of two people and it's this uh, physical release of our sexual desires that the people that we come in contact are just objects of our desire and and for our own self-gratification and for our own uh, narcissistic needs and that we can come together at a moment and it doesn't impact anything. It's just temporary. It's just physical. It doesn't mean anything. So who has the low view of sex? It's not the Bible. Sex is powerful. And it's beautiful and it's created by God. And two become one in this weird uh, experience. And so with that understanding, we need to, to be able to uh, safeguard that. We need to be able to protect that. And so if we read on, Paul very simply states this in verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. The text can be translated quite literally, run for your freaking life. Flee sexual immorality, it says. It's interesting, if you look at most of the scriptures, a lot of the language around like combating sin or dealing with sin in our life is more of a sort of warlike terminology, right? We're supposed to fight sin. We're supposed to stand up to injustice. We're supposed to push back on darkness, whatever. All those, uh, there's many, many examples of that. But what happens here in, in sexual, when we talk about sexual immorality, it's the only place it actually says run, Flee sexual immorality. And so it's, it's this picture of, if you remember the story also in Genesis of uh, Joseph and Potiphar's wife, right? Many of you probably remember this story where Potiphar's wife, uh, Joseph with this young, uh, good-looking, uh, muscular guy, and Potiphar's wife was always propositioning uh, him to sleep with her. And it says that one day Potiphar's wife and him were alone for some reason, and she grabbed a hold of him and tried to pull Joseph into her bedchambers. And there is this story of Joseph literally wiggling out of his robe and running. And so this is the image that Paul is trying to give us, that when we are faced with sexual immorality, we are to run, whatever it takes, get away from it, flee sexual immorality. 
we read on to close out the chapter, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So a lot of information today, a lot of backstory and setup. And as we close today, I'm going to have the worship team go ahead and make their way up. But the question that we have today is what do we do with this information? How do we take this and apply it to our life? Because if we're honest, we can look around and our culture is not that too far away from what we read about the city of Corinth. Would you agree? There are things uh, in our culture um, that sound a lot like Corinth. And our culture would like us to think that our sexuality, that our uh, sexual urges are just that. They're just physical. Hollywood wants us to think that that uh, sex is just casual and it's no different than if you were hungry and you went out and got a sub. And that is what they want us to think. And so what do we do with that? How do we apply that? And so I'm going to give you three little things just very quickly. But number one, uh, I think the first thing you need to do is you need to adopt the proper perspective and the proper definition of sexuality. Genesis chapter 2 here, Paul tells us very clearly, one man, one woman joined together in a covenant, then they become one. And the power of sex and the beauty of sex outside of that. He knows it's a proper place for that. And so we need to adopt the proper understanding, the proper definition of our sexuality. Not defined by the culture, not defined by Hollywood, but, but defined by the word of God here in Genesis chapter 2. Second thing I think we all need to, to think about is... Um, is there temptation in our life that we need to flee? Is there temptation in our life that we need to flee from? Is there a, a, a person at work that you're closer to than you should be or you talk to in ways that you know you shouldn't? Maybe that, what they call it, a, a work spouse. Is there people you're talking to. For some of you, maybe you need to uh, delete Potiphar's wife's contact in your phone. Do you understand what I'm saying? For some of you, you might need to unfriend Potiphar's wife on Facebook. Flee from temptation. You need to look at your life. Guard your sexuality. Guard that intimacy. Whether you're single and, and you're waiting for the day that you'll be able to enter into that covenant relationship and be able to experience that, or whether you already have it and, man, guard it that you don't lose it. 
What are some things and areas in your life where you need to take stock and maybe flee temptation, flee sexual immorality? What are you looking at? What type of movies are you watching? What are you listening to? Ladies, what are you reading? Flee. Joseph didn't stand inside Potiphar's room or Potiphar's wife's room and just say no, 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 no. He fled, he ran. So consider your life and some areas where you might need to flee. And then third is for some, maybe sexual morality has taken a stronghold in your life. Whether that's pornography or relationships, whatever the case may be, you can use your imagination. There's a stronghold that is in your life for some of you. And that's not something you can just break. Maybe you've tried and tried and tried and you understand that there are, if there's a stronghold in your life, it's not something that you can do on your own. And so today, if that's you and you're in this room or you're online watching, I want to encourage you, you need to talk to somebody. You need to get some accountability in your life. You need to confess out loud. There is power. Doesn't make sense. We're not trying to create guilt or shame in your life, but there is power when we confess with our mouth one to another. The Bible's clear. There's power in that. So if there's a stronghold in your life, you need to talk to somebody. We'll have our prayer team over here today. You can uh, email us at the church. You can call us. You can stop one of us today, but you need help. You need to confess. You need to get help. You need to create boundaries and have accountability in your life to break that stronghold of sin in your life. Sex was created by God. It's powerful. It's beautiful. And in the end of the day, the question that we really need to answer today is a matter of faith. I mean, it really comes down to who are we going to believe? Are we going to believe the world? Are we going to believe culture and Hollywood and their jacked up view about what sexuality is and their messed up idea about uh, relationships? Or are we going to believe the biblical teaching of a man and a woman becoming one flesh and a cod, this beautiful and powerful thing that happens and that should be protected and safeguarded, confined in the security of a marriage covenant. Who are we going to believe? It's a matter of faith. And so that's that question today. Is it the world or is it the Bible? Do me a favor, why don't you just stand to your feet this morning. We're going to sing a closing song together. But I just want to uh, pray for us, pray for you this morning. God, we pause. Man, we love your word, but sometimes it's hard. And it can be challenging. But God, we are going to lean in when things get challenging in your Bible. And we're going to press in and we're going to figure out what you're saying and we're going to figure out what you're trying to tell us, God. And we're going to allow you to deal with us. Allow your word to deal with our hearts, Lord. So today, 
God, just speak to us, God. Help us to have the right perspective, the right definition of our sexuality. Help us, God, to flee sexual temptation when it is present, God. Help us to safeguard our sexuality. And God, break the bonds of sin in our life. God, we believe that you can do it. We believe that you will do it. But God, we need you. We need you in our lives, God. We need your Holy Spirit directing us. And God, as we sing today, as we declare that today, that we need you, Lord, we pray that you'd come, you'd be with us through the week, God, that you'd remind us of your word, that you would guide us in our steps. And we thank you for what you're going to do uh, in our lives. And we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody says amen. Come on, let's sing this song together. Not just lyrics, but from our hearts. Come on, let's lift up our voice.